Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Father God, we thank you and praise you for giving us the Torah, for giving us your prophets, and for giving us your son, Yeshua. Father, we thank you for the mercy you show us. We thank you for health and restoring us to health. We thank you for all these things in the name of your son, Yeshua. Amen. Today, we are going over the Torah passage called uh, Devarim, and Devarim covers Deuteronomy chapter 1 through a good portion of chapter 3. It kind of cuts off before it goes into the uh, what's called the Moshe's discourse as he gets ready to set up the um, talking about the Ten Commandments, or actually kind of talks about his not going into the land, then talking about the starting of the Ten Commandments. So our section here is kind of the preview because they kind of chopped this introductory portion into uh, two weeks, covered it. So we'll be covering first stage, which has a little historical overview, and then going into uh, further conversations, a little bit of, so this section is kind of broken up into a little bit of history and a little bit of the conquering history. So the history of the Exodus plus the history of the entering the land partially. If you want to see some of the previous studies that we've done, you can find those at halel.info, H-A-L-L-E-L.info, slash P, as in Peter, P44, because we're in the 44th. Uh, they divide these things up into, I think, was it 54 or something sections, and um, this one in particular is the one we're on this week. So halel.info slash p44, and you'll find all the various topics we've covered. In this particular section, we've kind of gone into detail in times past about some of the stuff under the hood, about who gave the orders to do what, about the uh, going in to spy the land and, and such. But uh, before we go any further, uh, yes, Sean, you have a question. Yeah, I mean, if someone just coming off the street, I mean, killing the women and the children, you know, and just possessing this land and that land just because the creator said so, you know, I, I've been here a minute, so it's like there's more history to that, what was going on in the land. Would you mind touch on that? I mean, the wickedness that was going on and why God would do that? Yeah, I mean, this, the, the simple point of that is starting with the the first point is that we're dealing with the creator of heaven and earth the one who can make life breathe life bring back people that you know you get the illusions uh, of the valley of dry bones that prophecy in ezekiel so basically bring back people from nothing that you thought have long gone bring those people back so the idea of death or destruction or something like that is not the end. We see these things as a tragedy because you bring people to an end. But for the creator of heaven and earth, that is not the end. Now, that's just that's the what you have to start with first. So death in this kind of thing is not the end. Now, we've seen in many instances, and we have examples in today's history, of where you have had children that are so corrupted that 
there's there is no bringing them back um there's no bringing them back without really divine intervention uh, a key example of that are the child soldiers that you have both in Southeast Asia and also in Africa. Um, these are children that are kidnapped from their parents or they just go in and slaughter everybody in the city and take the children with the specific purpose of turning them into soldiers and that they do. And they turn them into the most, uh, you could say, fanatical, devoted uh, cannot be swayed away from it. In uh, more, you could say, going back in history a little bit more to, you know, is the Hitler Youth. The Hitler Youth were so indoctrinated from their very beginnings that they would turn their parents in. And with the assault in Berlin, that was pretty much all that the, uh, the Nazi regime had left. Old men and the Hitler Youth. And they sent them out there against the, the oncoming uh, Soviet army. They were no match for them, but the Hitler youth were fanatical. They were, you know, we think today of the suicide bombers. That's what the Hitler youth were like in battle. They just were totally relentless because they were told in from their very, um, very earliest days that the state is all there is. So you die for the state. We do have a lot, and sadly, it's like, what, what do you do with that sort of a situation? Now, we do have lots of examples where there are divine intervention with those child soldiers in Africa and child soldiers in Asia. And I even know personally some people who went through the Hitler Youth and, you know, thank God that God protected them from that indoctrination. So they did not go down like a lot of the other Hitler youth did, whose parents were not pushing back against the uh, poison that was being poured into their skulls on a daily basis. So we have examples along today where you have youth that are made so toxic by what has been poured into them from the culture around them that the most merciful thing to do en masse is to just basically hit the divine pause button on them to take them out until the time when you see it foretold in the prophets and in Revelation where the father of lies is taken off the board, where their lie is not there anymore. So then that comes down to the only thing left is you're, you're presented what the true reality of the universe is and at that point, if you decide to reject it, well, okay, but you've had it straight, unfiltered from the creator of heaven and earth, the one who can bring the dead to life. And at that point, you know, the lie is gone. Does that help at all, you know, for when we come into this kind of a, a situation? Because this situation that we're reading about here is actually not really different than what has happened in years past. And get into um, something that's come up in recent times with, uh, you could say, the colonialism of that's described this, like especially of the United States. Well, they'll come in. Well, you came in and you took the Cherokee land. You you came in. You took the Wampano land. You took this land. You took that long. You took the Sioux land. You took all these other types of lands. You wiped out the uh, the Iroquois. Well, the thing is, is that 
we know from archaeology that the Iroquois weren't the first ones there. The Cherokee weren't the first ones there. The Rapino weren't the first ones there. They came in and took land that was from somebody else, just like what we read at the end part of the thing where the Rephaim, the Anakim, these giants and stuff, they were there before, but they were whoop, taken off the table so that other people could come in. And those people then, they were like, okay, they didn't get really with the program. They weren't really connected with what was happening that was so special in this particular geography that was going to be the center of the entire world. They were taken off the table. So we have uh, Sihon and Og were taken off the table as well. So I don't know if that helps, but the situation that we're seeing right here is something that happens up to our very day here today. And we, we can see the situation of it. But we, when we, um, you know, when we kill people, they're dead. We, have, we can do nothing about that. But the creator of heaven and earth, when those people are dead, they're not really dead. Not in the mind of the creator. So, I uh, got Pamela's hand up, but uh, Pamela, why don't you uh, go ahead here? And Larry's got a question as well. Yes, go ahead, Pamela. People are, uh, people are thinking that these other civilizations of science might have been Nephilim. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? That they're so giants? Oh, to wipe out the seed of the giants? Is that what you mean? Ah, well, yeah, some, some have, have uh, then postulated them further into uh, the realm of the Nephilim and them being some, you know, divine human hybrid um, abomination or something to that, that regard. Um, that could be entirely possible, but... We just know from the reputation of those that survived from these people that uh, Goliath being one of them, that um, not great people to have on the planet, you know, and that we see examples of it in, in today's land where you have people who have incredible power, both by their position or their physical strength or something. And if there's something that's not restraining them, what will they do? They will try to dominate everybody around them. You know, we, it's one of those things that uh, we gravitate to people who physically express power. That's why, you know, you look at just demographically, the CEOs, presidents, et cetera, prime ministers, they tend to be tall. You know, they tend to have some sort of a booming voice. That's why, you know, when you go into broadcast TV, they actually teach you how to talk. And you'll hear uh, female broadcasters. And you're like, that sounds really odd. There's one here in the Bay Area that we always get a kick out of because when she talks, she talks. She's obviously talking far beyond her lower than her normal speaking voice because you can tell. But that is just what can, gives you a sense of authority. You know, and that's you always have to then beware. If someone is tall, if someone has a deep booming voice, watch out. Listen very carefully to what they're saying because the physical, the auditory uh, cues that you're getting is believe them, believe them, believe them, believe them. So you've got to step back and go, okay, I don't 
care what you look like. I don't care what you sound like. What are you saying? And thus, you have to really then go back from what is supposedly communicating authority to what actually has authority. What is, you know, as you see in the Gospels, where people would hear Yeshua and says, wow, you are one speaking with authority. And in that case, it's not relying on somebody else, but then also what was actually being communicated. Does that help at all, uh, Pamela? Yeah, it's, that's actually what you bring up as a very important lesson because we tall, booming, the giants of a sort even today. And those attributes I talked about, tall, booming voice, etc. Um, you could say uh, very assertiveness is also a very, uh, another one. We, you'll hear people call it gravitas is another description for it where they're just uh, so likable. They're so uh, convincing that they can just have people that will gravitate to them. And whatever they might be spitting. So it's kind of like you just have to really be careful if someone is exuding gravitas or someone has the look or the sound of someone in authority. Watch out. (laughs) Yes, Larry. I was going to say I've had a lot of trouble with this myself. But there was one thing that he said in the beginning of the, I don't know if it has anything to do with the 40 years or not. It may have. But he said that these people had not yet gotten to the, point where they're the earth is going to vomit them out yes it was like they can't be here and one of the big things about it was this child sacrifice yes. which is something the united states better think about if someday if they ever will yes yeah that is that is an, an entirely big point because when we're talking about when we get into just in a few chapters from here we're talking about don't mimic the behaviors of the people in the land in which you're going that is a big reason why they are being vomited out so to speak you know those from the descendants of esau and of moab which you know descended from lot those at least have some sort of a connection with the, the true story the true message that's that's coming down but um you just have to be very careful that your message is not getting corrupted like what we saw at the end of Bimidbar or numbers with uh the midianites because midian i mean you think midian well that's that's where yitro came from yitro being you know uh, the in-laws of moshe and where he hung out for four decades and also being a source of wisdom for moshe himself you just have to be careful that you know you just don't lean on your legacy and you see that with uh (laughs) with the kings um, that tried to haul away israel and deceive them that you don't uh, fall victim to that Does that help at all, Larry? Yeah, we we have to trust him. Understand these things, but he said, "I do." And you know, do you trust me? We go, yes, sir. Yes. Well, that's that's the big part of the uh, concept of emunah, or translated faith. Uh, faith is the ensign, the a better way to tr- would be um, 
loyalty or uh, dependability would be a better way to describe faith. Uh, Lee, do you have a question or comment? No, but Diane does. Oh, Diane does. Please go ahead. Forgive me if I don't understand this the right way. So someone who is speaking on behalf of the Lord, um, doesn't he give people like a holy boldness to speak his truth, his, the truth of his holy word, and to minister to people? For example, uh, Billy Graham had a lot of charisma, and he, um, he had a holy boldness about him that God created in him to evangelize, to, to you know, spread the good news. Um, God raised, I mean, to, to spread the good news, not only here, but across various parts of the world. So, it, did I ask the right way? Because I'm not, I mean, so are we to be aware of someone who has a holy boldness, who, who's speaking on behalf of Christ, ministering to people? Uh, I, I don't, uh, or it's by faith and by discernment that God, discernment he gives us to, to be able to see truth from error, false from what is false and what is not. Um, right? I mean, isn't that, isn't that right? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I, I think I know what you're, you're talking about, about the, the holy boldness. Uh, one of the, the key things that uh, we, should really think about is if we're dealing with holy boldness or you could say unholy boldness. And that's actually what we'll be getting to in Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18 is that particular thing is you need to find out whether this person who's speaking is actually speaking words uh, from heaven or if these are uh, coming from his own words or from actually the words of the adversary. But the key thing, the key thing is, is that those tools of the boldness are something that follow, they follow after, they follow from your actual communication of the word. It's kind of like what we were uh, talking about here somewhat recently with uh, some uh, fellow brothers who were talking about this idea of um, your obedience versus your um, trust, your faith. And one of the key things to always come in, and it's a key part of the New Covenant prophecy, which you find in, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, and you also find it in Ezekiel, actually in a couple different places, chapter 36, and also found it in chapter 11, a precursor to it. But one of the key parts of that is your change from the inside comes first. Then your uh, following after the words of God comes second. So thus, when we're talking about some uh, a charismatic leader not i'm talking about the movement of charismatics but just someone who has gravitas who is very convincing in their style and the way they speak the way they look that the words have to follow after the words have to be what the look at from the word communicating and how do we know you check it from the word you check it from the word against what is being said 
then you can know okay these words are ringing true with it so thus the gravitas is something that can help beyond that but you have to just be careful about being swept up with the gravitas being swept up with it you know that the we get I mean, yeah, the the yeah, I, I there was there was actually someone who was uh, uh, you know, really big into um, engineering was made a great observation about it. And we've talked about this previously that uh, the flesh is, you could say, it's uh, kind of like a way to describe spiritual gravity and. Uh, the flesh is something that is always pulling you down. Always pulling you down. And we know that like from gravity. I mean, what happens over time? You get wrinkles, you get aches, you get pains. Gravity is always pulling down. And that is one of the things that is unique about life is that life is always pushing back against the pull of that. Yeah, because, you know, think about it. If your heart was not beating, what, where would your blood go? Down to your feet. Or if you're on laying down, it would pull on your back. And it wouldn't go anywhere else and you'd die. So your body with your heart is always fighting against it with all, all your capillaries and arteries and whatnot, always fighting against gravity, gravity, gravity. So that's the, the biblical picture of standing. Take a stand. Stand. What is standing? You're working against gravity because if you're sitting down, it takes effort to stand up. And if there's any sort of pressure being put on you to stand up, then it takes even more effort to stand up. And you get the picture in the Bible of what? The going down or the going up. We always talk about Aliyah or the to going up to Jerusalem, going up to the house of the Lord. And one of the pictures that you see is also when people go down, you have this picture of them descending spiritually. So they are succumbing to the spiritual gravity and going down versus going up, you're going against the ways of the world and going toward the realm of where God is. So a very, very interesting illustration from uh, something that God has, has created. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Now, praise God on that. So it's always good a reminder when we get to Deuteronomy 13, a reminder again to watch out for. It's, you may see an antidote against uh, gravitas, an antidote against the tickling of the ears, things that sound cool or interesting, to check them out because they should be jiving with the word. Is there anything else, uh, Diane? No, thank you so much. Have great explanation. Praise. Oh, fa- for- fantastic. Just going to put your line on mute because it uh, seems to be getting a little bit of an echo. All right. So one of the things that we're going to take a look at today, we've covered a lot of the details in years past. But one of the things that's very important to remember as we come around to this time of Devarim, which totally coincidentally is a time when you start thinking about reformation restoration the uh, spiritual gravity working on people working on society working on yourself and going against it 
So what we we got a little bit of the recounting so far in these these chapters that we've read so far, and we'll get some more of that uh, next week when we go through the rest of the historical recounting, and then start going into the recounting of the Exodus. But one of the the key parts of this particular thing that we we are looking at here today is uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 5. And it says here, And across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moshe undertook to expound this law. And this law is oftentimes and thought to encompass the, the whole rest of the book. But that expounding word that's there, that uh, it's the word of Ba'ar, and Ba'ar uh, is translated as to make plain or to declare, but Ba'er is also a, you could say, a, simon- a synonym or a homonym, really, of the word of Ba'ar. A Ba'er is also a pit or a cistern. So thus you get this, this picture of that Moshe is drawing up, like drawing up water from a well. And thus, when you're seeing the retelling of the Ten Commandments, which comes in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and then when you start seeing the retelling on the expounding, the drawing up from the well on the rest of the Ten Commandments that goes down through from chapter 6 through uh, 26 through the end of the book, that what you're seeing is is catching high points, catching the elements that are you know drawing up uh, something that what um, Yeshua told in one of his parables about you know that a the kingdom of God is like someone who brings out treasures both old and new, so bringing up this treasure from the depths. So thus, like, like we're 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 seeing here today with Sihon. And Og, this is being expounded when? When is this expounding in Deuteronomy? Yeah, we're talking about like coming to the end of the four decades that they were in exile. When did this the Sihon and Og happen? <laughs> it's right almost, you know, you're getting near the end, is toward the end or the thing. So he's telling this to people that just went through it. So it's like, okay, so you're seeing these, these two aspects of this being these are high points of the journey. Thinking about some of the retelling, the people who just went through the situation with the Sihon and Og. And then he's also talking about some of the other things, especially the going into the land, which was the beginning, the four decades earlier. It started off the, the whole um, Mini exile from the land. Uh, yes, Daniel, you had there, a thought? There's, during his uh, oration, a retelling all this, I noticed that there was a, uh, uh, a discrepancy or a strange retelling. And this, he does it a few times. I'm not going to you know, quibble about his word choice. But in discusses it when he, in chapter two, because he's, these guys just went through this, they just lived it. It's all the past year or so of their lives. Um, uh, their, their process of going through. Uh, Esau's territory and Moab's territory, he recounts it here as if those nations let them go through. <laughs> but the recurrent numbers said, no, they weren't allowed to go through. So he's, okay, there's a, a strange recollection, or maybe it's not fully understood. Maybe they 
I'm not sure how that happened because in numbers, the tail in the last few chapters, they had to, they were supposed to skirt around the edges of them. Maybe that's what we have to try to refer to the fact that Esau and Moab allowed them to skirt the border, the border, like literally, you know, like the four corners of the United States. Stand right on this line. <laughs> Don't go two inches that way, that way. Maybe that's what they did. I'm not quite sure, like single file. But um, he does recount things a little differently. But most important thing is he was fascinating how most portrays this. The stuff he tells them, I told you this, or you said that, and obviously in Numbers, it says, well, he's talking to God, and God, he's communicating with God this way. It implies, at least the way he's saying it, is that everything he talked to God in, in Numbers, he had to have related it wholly, its entire form, to the people themselves. They heard everything said, every conversation spoken. But obviously, he wrote it down. He had to have retold it again to them, too. So, it, 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 you could look at it as if Moses was reimagining the past, or he really wasn't reimagining it. He was just recounting, yeah, I, this is how it happened there when I wrote it down, but I had related to you at the same time at that time. Because he put the whole, it was your idea that's in the spies thing. But, and the number says, well, God said it's in the spies and all that kind of confusion thing. But the way Moses speaks, it sounds like he must have, or most likely, had the conversation twice, essentially had a conversation with God and the same conversation with the people. And uh, like a duplicate. Because somehow he wrote down everything. And so it's obviously written down. And since these guys just lived through some of these things, they're not going to you know, contradict him. No, that's not how it happened. Because they were just there. Uh, it's an interesting, interesting conundrum as far as how Moses actually relayed information, how he remembers it, and whether or not he in fact just told them as if like, it's a third-person conversation. I just had to talk to God. This is this, what we just talked about and related everything. I'm not sure. It, it is a curiosity on how he relayed this stuff because his memory is a little bit different than what's recorded in numbers, at least what is recorded here, at least. Yeah. One of the, the uh, ways you could also look at this is it might be the merciful retelling of it. Um, is is basically it's just kind of like when what you see as you go through the rest of the expounding on the Ten Commandments and such that it's more of the um, getting to the heart of the matter. So this might be more of the you could say the Cliff Notes version. Okay, this happened. This is what you should have taken out of what happened here. What uh, this because. Because otherwise, you know, this is a recounting. Well, what's the purpose of recounting it to people that just went through it? Well, it's like, okay, this happened. This is what you should have gotten out of the situation of it, which could possibly be why um, Devarim is something that is quoted so much more from the others. That's why it's like, why, why do Christians like to quote Paul so much? Well, Paul is like the cliff notes of the Torah and the Gospels together. Um, and the prophets are kind of like the cliff notes of the Torah and also the, the writings, the historical accounts and everything. It's like, okay, you know all this stuff happened. Well, this is what you should take out of what happened in w- what was uh, going behind the scene, so to speak. So what is the point of all that? And that's where you get down to the end of Devarim, and you'll say that this is something that's not far away from you. This word of God is not far away from you. That's what you should get out of all of these things, that the word of God is not far off. They have to go get it somewhere. 
this is actually close to you, even in your heart and on your mouth. So that is also the message that comes through from the prophets as well. And it's the message when you see the corollary to the expounding on the Ten Commandments. You've got the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew 5 through 7, where you have the getting to the heart of the matter of the Torah. Okay, you've heard it said, you know, and I tell you, or it's commonly put, but I tell you, but and I tell you is another way that you can legitimately translate that. So, and then, you know, like you're mentioning there, his encounter with uh, Yeshua when he encountered the adversary out in the wilderness, you know, he was brought uh, up things by the adversary, and his response was, well, it is written. And one of the key things we'll be getting to is in our next passage in chapter 6 and also in chapter 8. So, when we look at this picture, this recounting of this roller coaster up and down, you know, close to God, away from God, close to God, away from God, blessed by God, <laughs> I have these uh, curses and punishments from God coming through everything of what we read in the book of Numbers and now getting recounted again. But one of the things to remember is well, okay, where do they start out from? Mitzrayim, Egypt, the house of bondage. Where are they going? Go to the mountain, okay, to then going to the land, going to um, his rest, which when you talk about riffing, what are you supposed to get out of this? This is what the whole journey is, moving from the house of bondage to God's rest. We see that in the book of Hebrews as well, when it riffs on that in Hebrews 3 and 4, that is what you're supposed to be getting out of. It's the same question from the house of bondage to freedom. So thus, it's the same question we can ask all of us, you know, are, are we still in or were we in the house of bondage? Do we actually acknowledge that we were in a place that was holding us captive? and dragging us down, heading us in a direction that in the grand scheme of all eternity is going nowhere. Do we acknowledge that? And are we actually freed from it? Well, if we are freed, who freed us? Remember we read about that in Exodus? That was a big thing. Exodus 17. Are you with us or not? The people were asking God. And you saw that in Numbers again and again. The people grumbling, people grumbling. So then you had the, the seraphim, the, the, the fiery serpents came and said, okay, well, you know, if you want to live in the wilderness without God, well, just know who's the one who's keeping uh, everything working for you. The water, the food, keeping all the beasts and everything away from you. You don't want to live like that. Well. Here's an example of what that kind of life away from God is. Until, you know, then you get the interesting picture. Well, you don't want to have the protection from the snakes. Well, here come the snakes. Well, what then is the sign or the message? You have the the bronze, the copper snake up on the pole. You look toward that. But you have to remember, well, who, again, who freed you? Later on in Israel's history, they forgot what that serpent on the pole meant. And they thought, oh, that freed us. Kind of like with the golden calf. Here is the God 
Here is the Elohim who took us out of Mitzrayim. And then when you, you get out, you're realizing, are you still free? Are you still free even when you leave the house of bondage? And then, okay, still free, but how far have you actually come? Kind of like what we saw at the beginning of this passage. It's like, okay, you've circled this mountain long enough. Now it's time to what? Lech lecha. Get going. Move out. You're going from this meeting the, uh, meeting the presence of God, getting the testimony of God, getting the instructions for the tabernacle, then the presence of God is going to be traveling with them in their midst. But you're going to be going somewhere going to the land, going to the place of rest. So, and again, we're saying, well, you know, is this just some sort of a magical uh, thing that can happen in eons past that has no relation to today? Uh, well, yeah, it does. I mean, if you paid attention to any of the news right now, here in Cuba, this is baffled people here. They're flying the Cuban flag and the American flag. So it's kind of like a very interesting thing here in, in this country. You know, just take the abstraction of it. You can say about all the foibles and this and that, and which is a very interesting point in and of itself. But they're saying we are in a house of bondage. There is a place where you can be free. Now, the... They are looking to the ideals of the Declaration of Independence, the ideals of the U.S. Constitution. And you could say, well, it's not been lived out. Or as, as uh, Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King put it, these are things, these are deposits that have not ever been, you know, we haven't cashed these checks, so to speak. These are checks that were written at the time of the founding when these documents were written, but we've never actually cashed these checks so far. So Frederick Douglass saw, oh, wow, with you know, the, uh, the um, proclamation of emancipation, that was a beginning of the uh, depositing these checks that have been written by the founders of the country. And then when you start seeing this, the Civil Rights Act and people start moving away from these oppressive policies that were keeping people enslaved, then you say, okay, we're starting to make deposits on that. Very interesting thing that comes into this because uh, people will say, well, you know, uh, the, the founders were slaveholders, the founders were this, the founders were that. And you see a very interesting point that Paul makes a very s similar point. Well, it's like, well, what if, and he's like in the beginning few chapters of Romans, and he's saying, well, what if they didn't follow along with it? What if they didn't fall along with the law? Does that cancel out the law because people that supposedly call themselves followers of the law don't follow the law? And that those people who don't really know the law are like, yeah, we want that. But they really don't know much about it, but their lives are going toward the, uh, the ways of the law, the ways of the testimonies of God. And the people who claim to be following it their lives are going away from it. And to make people, like you get points in Israel's history, where people are like, ah, we, we don't even want to go to the tabernacle because it is a place of oppression. And you get in the days of like the uh, high priest Eli with his, his sons. And his sons were so reprehensible that 
women wouldn't want to go to the tabernacle anymore because it was uh, definitely a uh, harassing, to say the least, situation that was happening there. So that was a case where the people that are supposed to be representing God, supposed to be bringing people closer to God, were doing the exact opposite. So thus, we can see that what is the point of this direction that we're going from the house of bondage to the house of freedom? So this is the situation going on in Cuba right now is what you would, we talked about this argumentation thing you'll see in the Bible quite a lot. And in Hebrew, it's expressed as kalavachomer or light and heavy. So the light part of the argument goes, well, if you accept this part is true and it maybe is kind of a lighter, not really as consequential as a situation, if this much is true, then this other situation, which is really consequential and follows along the same lines, well, how much more is that true? So thus we can see in this situation is like you have these people will see ideals that are put forward of, you know, freedom of speech. All that's just in the first E, freedom of redress of government, and then freedom of religion. All that's just in the First Amendment. And then you have uh, people that say we want more of the freedom not less well then how much more then is the message of freedom this message of the law of liberty how much more is that being expressed by the ambassadors of the people of god so that's kind of a a modern day version of uh, what paul was getting at in the beginning chapters of romans so uh, Rose was talking earlier about uh, Tisha B'Av or the ninth of Av. That's uh, coming up, coming up on the calendar. Uh, that's t- t- starting tonight. Going in tomorrow is the ninth day of the month of Av and the fifth month. And these uh, three Shabbats surrounding it are uh, times that are talking about remembrance, remembrance of the anniversary of the destruction of the first and second temples, and really that's also a part of what the whole uh, festival cycle is. What the festival cycle is, is about remembering. These are remembrances, memorials. Uh, zikharon. Zikharon is a remembrance, what you're talking about in the Word. So these are points where you're remembering things. And the festivals are called the Yomim Tovim, or each one individual is called a Yom Tov, or a good day. And uh, specifically, a festival called a Chag. And Chags are kind of, uh, kind of like hug, maybe. But Chag is more of a time of holding a festival, a remembrance. One of the verb forms of Chag is Chagag. And... Uh, it's used lots of times for Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Psalms, uh, talking about making a pilgrimage. But we see some examples in the Word, uh, especially in Psalm 107.27, where you have this form of chagag used with uh, nuah to mean to shake or to wander, or talking about kind of like teetering around in almost like a drunk-like state. Now, is that saying, well, just it's, these hogs are nothing but a point where you get totally bombed? No, this is talking about a situation of 
kind of swirling in a circle, which is where we get to one of the other types of uh, derivations of the word chag. And that's uh, traced to the word chug, which is a very similar spelling of it, to make a circle, especially in Job 26.10 is where it talks about this, but also Isaiah 40, Proverbs 8, Job 22.14, and even in the apocryphal book of Sirach, uh, 43.12, using this word of chug, talking about to transit a circle. So thus that comes in, you'll often hear people talk about the appointed times of the Lord being rehearsals. Well, that comes from this picture of chug and then being a, a, a source for the word chag of making a circuit or a circle. So each one of these things coming around again is coming around like an anniversary or they have a birthday or something. You come around and you remember the things that happened before. And that's part of the cycle of life with God. So it goes back to what we were looking at earlier with our, with our questions that we were bringing forward. Have we actually left the house of bondage? So are we kind of like instead of going out of the house of bondage and going to the mountain to get the testimony of God to learn who God is? Or are we... Are we doing circuits around the mountain to get the testimony of God? Or are we doing circuits around the house of bondage where we never actually leave? We just, we realize, okay, we're, we're in, we're in a uh, house of bondage, but we never actually leave it. We just wallow in it and never actually go out to freedom. So that's one of the, the key questions that we're kind of looking at here today. Now, as we uh, look out further into this, this question, one of the things that uh, we have with Devarim is the second telling for the second generation. We've already talked about before that this is a expressing to the second generation the why of the journey. You know, if you're always... If you're working with children, as they get older, they always want to know why. Why, 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 all the time. Why, why, why are we doing this? Well, a lot of the Deuteronomy is the why. Uh, most of the book, you could say, is the why of the Ten Commandments and the other expounding parts of the, of the instructions that are in the Torah. That A lot of talking about the why in there. But also... To get through it is well okay the why but also the where where are you actually going what is your actual mission in life and as we go forward and we'll see this next week when we go through and we pick up uh, especially chapter seven uh chapter six i'm sorry of deuteronomy is where we encounter this big picture of the why and it's such a big picture of the why that the, what's called the Shema prayer from Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 and 5, why it's something that's a daily, um, it's a daily practice, a daily discipline, a daily part of the realignment of ourselves as we move forward into the day is to remember 
the why and the where what is our actual mission you know to love the lord with all of your heart with all your soul with all your strength and the corollary to that is in the leviticus 19 verse 18 the what yeshua called the second greatest commandment 18 the love your neighbor as yourself and as you go back and you look at 1918 the fuller portion of it is you know do not hold a grudge against your neighbor so thus you get a little picture of what that love your neighbor as yourself means not holding a grudge means you have to do what forgive you have to forgive you have to let it go because a big part of the new covenant prophecy there in jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34 is that he will do what with our iniquities keep him in a book put him up on the wall make sure to point him out to you every single day say yeah you know yeah you, you were getting into the kingdom but wow look at that oh no sorry um that's not gonna happen no it's that he says, I will remember your iniquities no more. That's a key part. The, not only the new heart, but also that stuff that happened before the new heart. What happens? Remember that no more. That's a key part of the moving forward. And, you know, that's something that Yeshua expressed in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. And it says, you'll know them by their fruits. So we talk about the, the why, the where, the mission in your life. This whole thing, and like we talked with what Paul was getting at, is like this Torah stuff, the, the instructions, the testimony of God, is great if it does what? Changes you. Yeah. So that's talking to the second generation. Okay, the first generation, they were died off and we read here today why they died off so second generation is okay you don't want to go that way so the internal part of you has to change that internal part that says the lord is going to give you this path going forward are you going to go forward or not or are you going to say no walls are too high people too big uh i can't do it can't do it no it's like the lord says i'm fighting for you but then the corollary to that was and it's recounted in this passage that we read today is that the lord says i'm not going with you on this i've already told you that okay you didn't trust me so now you're gonna have to learn to trust me and then the next generation is gonna go in it's like no we're gonna go in and like no you didn't hear me (laughs) You've got to go go circle around and your next generation is going to go in. They decided to try to go in themselves. The Lord was not with them. So it's like uh, something expressed also later on in the prophets, but not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So it's something that we don't really think Maybe it's a big deal, kind of like with, with gravity, because we learn, we live with it 
day by day by day by day. But, you know, you've seen the pictures of the people up in the space station or when they go up in those little up and down little roller coaster flights in the planes and you're, you know, quote, weightless for a short period of time or you don't have the gravity pulling on you. Oh, what happens? Well, how easy it to do stuff like walk around. So that very difficult. If you uh, don't have, you don't have a grounding or uh, some some way to hold on to something or to push off from something, what you're just floating around. You have nothing. So we live with gravity all the time, but we have to realize that gravity can ground us, but also can crush us. Because, you know, taking this metaphor and beating it with a hammer, you go out to Jupiter, and what kind of gravity is there? Yeah, not only will the gravity crush you, but the air pressure will crush you too. And not that far down into the planet's atmosphere and your toast. So it's one of those things that what can seem like a help to kind of get you on in life is also something that can tear you down over time to move against it. So another thing that we get out of the book of Devarim that we're starting this journey down with the second generation, but as we've seen that this is also our journey as well, our journey into the rest of God, that rest, the, the time of the Messianic era, the time of the full showing up of the kingdom of God, that in the interim is expressed there in John chapter 17, verse 3, that this is eternal life, that they may know you. And that is when we go through Deuteronomy, we get to the end. We see that's like we talked about earlier. Is the word of God far off? No, it's close to you. It's on your mouth and in your heart. That knowing God, that's getting the cliff notes to the Torah, to getting the explanations, or as we saw there right at the beginning of Deuteronomy, that this is like Moshe drawing up from a well, drawing up from the deep thoughts of God what all of this stuff means and how you, you put it into practice in your life. So just as we close out today, a preview of coming attractions. We've uh, seen here the, the first address from Moshe goes from chapter 1 through chapter 4, verse 43, and covers that historical section from chapter 1 through a good portion of chapter, uh, chapter 3. And then he ends there beginning with uh, chapter 4 with a charge to observe the, observe the law and beginning of chapter 4, verses 15 through 40, about a warning against idolatry. And talking about the cities of refuge, completely coincidentally, just thrown in there about the cities of refuge. The address takes up most before then we get into the second address of Moshe. And that second address takes up most of the book. It goes from the last part of chapter 4 through uh, chapter 28 and covers a good portion of that, uh, covers 
the elaboration on the Ten Commandments from chapter 6 verse, uh, through chapter 26. And the third address of Moshe is basically chapter 29 and a good portion of uh, basically 29 and 30. And then the wrapping up of the book in chapters 31 through uh, 31 through 34 with that um, conclusion of the message. And we saw at the last part of, of uh, Bimidbar or Numbers where you have the, the holy handoff from Moshe to Yehoshua and the importance of remembering, uh, remembering to hold on to the things of the Lord and not to get sidetracked by the things of the nations around. So that is the picture, the roadmap of where we're going. Are there any last thoughts as we close out here today? Yes. Um, yeah, Rose is asking for another uh, handing out the kind of the roadmap for uh, Devarim. So yeah, I'll, I'll get some copies next week when we go through it. It's a, it's a great roadmap. This is just one outline. There's lots of outlines that people have put out, but I think this in particular one uh, is a helpful outline of the book of Devarim because what it does, and this is just a preview of coming attractions, is it goes through and helps you see what all this stuff that seems all these instructions and commands that don't seem like they relate to anything are actually, you could group them together based on the Ten Commandments and actually help you understand what the heart of God was in actually putting these instructions forward. So what does it mean to have no other gods? What does it mean to avoid idolatry? What does it mean to avoid blasphemy or to take God's name down? And what does it mean to keep the Sabbath? And interestingly, what does that have to do with tithe, with the Shemitah or the, or the sabbatical year, with Pesach or Passover, with uh, Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks? What does that have to do with tabernacles and Sukkot? So kind of helps you to see why all those things are grouped together. And with the fifth commandment there about uh, honoring your father and your mother, you can see that has a lot to do about uh, what the in what the authority of humans are on earth, and <laughs> we've gone through a lot of that here, and still go through it here, especially in California, about the authority of humans and where they come into play, why authority is important, why authority can be abused. We already talked about that earlier today, as to how you have to be careful that. Uh, people are not abusing their authority and trying to come across as persuasive in what they're saying to always weigh things accordingly. And as we were, saw earlier with the uh, people down in Cuba realizing that the freedom to be able to decide which way you want to go is hugely important. And when God says this is the law of liberty, You've got the Apostle Yaakov there in the book of James talks about that this is the law of liberty. We'll be learning why you are more free. And like we were talking about earlier, are you still in Mitzrayim, in Egypt, in the land of bondage? Or are you free with the law of liberty? 
And uh, lastly, closing out with the um, sixth commandment about killing, we see that how that has to play in with topics like murder and talk a lot about murder, homicide, uh, manslaughter. Lots of those things have been coming up in the past year or so. Seventh commandment about adultery. And interestingly, that picture of adultery, like we saw at the last part of Numbers, where the whole thing with the Baal of Peor and uh, Balaam or Balaam, you know, luring away the hearts of Israel, that that's part of adultery is something that can sneak up on us if we don't watch out. And those are part of what the instructions are in there. And closing things out with the uh, commandments on stealing, about honesty and trust, and about covetousness at the 10th commandment. And the interesting parts of why it is that first fruits and treating people with fairness is a part of coveting. Very interesting lesson that comes through with that. So that is the road ahead where we're going to be going here in the, in the next uh, few several weeks here as we close out the Torah cycle for this year. But a part of the cycle of the festivals coming back around again to them in this, as we start the sixth month, you know, traditionally seen as a time of repentance or return, starting with the beginning of the sixth month and going through the Day of Atonement there in the seventh month, a time of return, reflection, again, where have we actually come in the past year? Where have we come? Have we gone any further? Or are we still going in donuts? Is our life just, you know, just floor it and turn the wheel and you're just going round in circles all day long, going actually nowhere? Or it's like, do we follow the Lord's messages? Like, okay, you've gone in circles too much. Now go, go forward. Any other thoughts as we close out here today? Alrighty, let's close things out with prayer. Father God, we thank you and praise you for giving us the testimony of your servants and for reminding us about how far you've taken us, where we started out from, who has freed us. And Father, we thank you for giving us freedom. We thank you for teaching us about who you are and giving us the testimony of who you are, for pointing us in the right direction and for reminding us day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year, about wanting us to far you're taking us and how much you treasure us and wanting us to get to the destination to enter your rest. And Father, we pray, for, we pray for that day when your rest will take over the entire world. There'll be no more pain or suffering, disease, sickness, murder, strife, Malice, all of those things will be passed away. Father God, we, we look forward to that day and we just ask you to help us stand. Stand against this, this spiritual gravity of our old way of life. Father, we thank you for all these things in the name of your Son, Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. 
That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel dot info. Hallel.info.